0: So welcome, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, my name's Garrett, if we've not met before. I think I've met most of you. Um, we're gonna do four weeks on a gospel-centered family. And this week is kind of a kickoff, sort of an introduction. And um, our, our goal tonight is kind of to define the terms, um, to challenge and solidify and strengthen our idea of family, and then also to encourage us all to be pursuing gospel-centered family. The next Wednesday, I hope you can come, my dad, Pastor Paul, will be uh, doing a gospel-centered marriage, and then the third week, Pastor John Martin will do a gospel-centered parent, and then Kevin will wrap up the fourth and final week with a gospel-centered life. So I think it's going to be a really good uh, four weeks. The reason we're doing this is because family is extremely important, amen? It's, It's valuable, and it is an awesome thing that God has given to us. Uh, But it's also a broken thing. It's often for a lot of people a painful thing and uh, definitely an imperfect thing because families are made up of imperfect people. So um, on top of that, our society and our culture um, today is one that often devalues the family, sometimes even attacks the family. And so um, there's many people in in our society that feel family is a burden. So with all these things going on, we recognize that we have a need to be encouraging and strengthening and challenging our families to be all that God intended them to be. So let's start by, uh, we're going to do that by reading some scripture. So I've asked Lily Hunt to read our scripture today. So come on up, Lily. Go
1: ahead. Hi. Hi.
0: (laughs) I'm going to be reading 2nd. Timothy 1, 3 through 5. So, here we go. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that... First, lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced it is it is in you also. Second Timothy
2: one three through five.
0: Good job. Thank you, Lily. <laughs> Let me pray for our time, dear God. We are so grateful for family, and we thank you for giving us family. Lord, I pray that you would use tonight the voices here that we're gonna hear on the panel, um, the the scripture we're going to read. Lord, I pray that you would use it all to um, just encourage us in this area of family. God, we we confess that families are a mess, Lord. There's, There's a huge need we have for you in our families. So we call out to you tonight and ask that you would speak to us, that you would give us vision For our families and that um your holy spirit would just encourage us this evening we pray these pray these things in your name jesus amen so do me a favor and just turn your brain into a google search engine for a second it basically already is right so but just select the image button there and google image in your brain the the phrase perfect family so if you punch that in hit search what comes up in your mind what do you picture when you think of the perfect family, the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. That's good. Result
2: not
0: found. <laughs> That's good. Yep. Anybody picture like a little house on the prairie? Leave it to be a Brady Bunch. All Anybody? Sleeping. What's that? All the kids are sleeping. Oh, there's the perfect family. Nice. <laughs> Anybody picture a uh, young, attractive couple in a beautiful outdoor setting with one little boy, one little girl, and a golden retriever? That's what I think you get most of when you actually Google image it. Or the first one that pops up actually is the royal family, Prince William and Kate Middleton. So, But you know what should show up is that 404 website not found error code because it doesn't exist, right? Or maybe you should picture a unicorn, right? There is no such thing as perfect family. And I know that that's an obvious statement. Thanks, Captain Obvious, right? But I think it needs to be said because although we may know that in our heads, and we logic tells us, uh, from our experience, that there is no such thing as a perfect family. Yet, we scroll through Instagram, we come to church on Sunday, and we get this idea that everybody has it a little bit more together than we do. And the devil uses that, uh, the enemy uses that, those lies and that false comparison as one of his many tactics to destroy families. All right, so we just need to recognize that Um, That's something that goes on and the truth is that pick any family, any family in the world that you think has it more together than you do and right below the surface, there's guaranteed, there's, there's pain, there's deep hurt, there's wounds, there's brokenness, there's dysfunction, every family and that's because every family is a mess from the beginning of time, the very first family, right? Think about it, Adam and Eve, the first married couple rejected God's plan, and then went on to raise a little murderer. Cain killed his brother Abel, right? So, and then every family, if you look through the Bible, at the the families of the Bible, it's one drama after soap opera, after scandal. Um, It looks more like a show on HBO than Little House on the Prairie. The, The point is, families are a mess because all have sinned, all have fallen short, right? So the goal here tonight is not to point at this unicorn of a perfect family and try to figure out how that we get there. We know it doesn't exist. Our purpose tonight is to um, understand what it means to be a gospel-centered family and to pursue that. So if we look at 2 Timothy 1, uh, 3 through 5 again, this is Paul um, speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, encouraging him, and he's thanking God for him and for his genuine faith. And he says in verse 5 there, um, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. So what Timothy inherited was a multi-generational uh, passing on of faith, a legacy of faith. And how, how cool of a vision is that for our families? Now, that's a vision that we can all have and that we all should have to see, our fi- our, to see not only our own lives centered on the gospel, but our children and our children's children. And it's not just the nuclear immediate family. It's also the Paul and the Timothys, the spiritual uh, families that we can be passing on our faith to those that we have no blood relationship, no legal relationship to. And so we all have the opportunity to do that, to think about families long-term and to uh, strive to see that multi-generational legacy of faith happen. But what does that look like? How does that happen? Uh, What are the challenges and how do we overcome them? So as a brand new father of two under two, I have some ideas but I have very little experience. Um, But thankfully I have a great example in my parents and then also my in-laws so I do know a few things but luckily for all of us, we're going to invite these other voices to to come onto the stage now and then really dive into a lot of these. Questions. So I've asked four people to be on the panel tonight, and um, these individuals met three requirements. They're all, they are all—they all I know from seeing it and experiencing it—that um, they all have a very high view of family and a deep conviction for the value of family. Number two, they're all committed to living gospel-centered lives and leading their families and doing the same. And number three, they're all in different stages of life, so they'll they'll offer a unique. Uh, perspective because of their current um, stage of life. So with that, would you welcome Pat Grayman, Johnny Lopez, Jeff Steiner, and Lindsey Hunt to the stage. the music. (laughs) Grab a seat, any seat. Got a bottle of water for you. Thank you guys so much for being here. There should be a microphone for each one of you. The one on the end should use the wired one there. Cool. Well, welcome, you guys. Um, Thanks for doing this. Like I said, I know each of you uh, well enough. I've observed you both inside the the church building walls and outside in your homes, and uh, that makes me really, really excited to have this conversation with you guys because I know that we're all going to be uh, blessed, encouraged, and, and challenged. So, so thank you, and let's dive right in. I thought that, um, well, I'm hoping that we hear bits and pieces of your family history and your story, your testimony throughout the entire evening. I hope that you weave that in as we go. But by way of introductions. I thought it'd be good if we could start with just a brief, um, kind of a condensed family history, basically where you came, who you are, and where you came from, leading up to sort of what your family currently looks like. So maybe you will start here and go that way. So
3: I come from my dad's side is Hispanic, and my mom's side is like Canadian Norwegian. So it's been very interesting growing up in uh, very two different cultures. Um, but both my families, uh, had faith incorporated into their lives, um, and it looked very different in each part of the family, um, but it definitely had a trickle-down effect to my father and my mother, and they invested in me and my brother, and, um, yeah, so basically now that looks like me, uh, living out my role as, um, brother, son, uh, uncle, and, um, getting to pass those things along as well.
1: Uh Okay. (laughs) Um, So uh, my father's German. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, So uh, my parents were raised very differently. My dad uh, was a military kid. Um, Both parents were alcoholics, grew up just crazy, crazy kids. My dad was. My mom was raised Catholic. Did not even open a Bible until she was 19 years old, but always had a love for God throughout her whole life. And uh, so when I was five years old, I raised my hand to accept the Lord in a Catholic church. The priest kind of stumbled on his words (laughs) as I was in my stepdad's arms. But um, we had a Christian upbringing when I was born and until, let's see, 19, well, I was six years old, so when I was six, my parents got divorced, and then um, we stopped going to church until I was about ten. And so, the the time span from when I was six until ten, it was like a very uh, it was they were living a backslidden lifestyle. So we saw a lot of different things going on me and my brothers. But when I was ten, I said, "Why don't we go to church anymore?" And so they were like, "Oh, ugh. <laughs> okay." So then we started going back to church again. Thankfully, so I was raised in a Christian home, but I was a very rebellious teen. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I was a very rebellious teen. And um, the thing that was missing was that I never had a personal relationship with Christ. I had a relationship through my youth pastor or through my parents' relationship with God. Um, but I never, I never owned my faith myself. And so it caused me to go down, you know, many many bad roads in my lifestyle until I hit about 30 years old when I always say I stopped being stupid when I was 30 <laughs> and finally submitted to God. So the rest is what you see now. And your current <laughs> family looks like... Oh, current family, sorry. Um, my husband. Uh, we've been married for 13 years now. Yay! Um, we have four kids, 21, 12, 9, and 6. Yeah.
4: Awesome, cool. So... Um, my family, my my uh, grand my grandparents. I remember as a little kid going over to their house, and they would take us to the Lutheran church. Uh, when I was a little kid, I had no idea what they were doing. I do I do believe that my my grandparents were saved. I know that my grandmother saved for sure now, and I think my grandfather was saved. But um, the liturgy and the the um, just kind of how the services were, I didn't have an understanding at all uh, of what the gospel was. Um, my parents, I would say, we they took us to church until I was about seven. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, I think we went water skiing or something, got a boat or something like that, and then, boom, gone from church. But I had known through that time and, uh, you know, a little bit older, I, I was familiar with Jesus, but again, I didn't have a relationship with the Lord at all. Um, so fast forward about 20 years, um, I'm busted. I'm an alcoholic, and um, my, my parents, they weren't saved at that time. They weren't saved all the way along, which I've, I recognized when I got saved, but About 20 years later, I I, um, gave my life to Christ, and so I would say that, uh, you know, I was kind of one of the first ones in my family that really had a relationship with the Lord, and it kind of upset the apple cart of the religious sort of side of my family, Um, but I've seen them come around, which is really awesome. My wife came to know Jesus about six months after I did. Obviously, he changes everything. He's he's amazing. Um, Currently, I with my wife Sarah, we have two kids, uh, 15 and 16 years old, and so we are in the teen years now. Woohoo! Happily.
2: (laughs) I was going to say, we'll pray for you. (laughs) Please do. Uh, I represent the old part of the families. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I grew up in a loving home and a good home, but Christ wasn't a part of it. And the Lord always was after me. Uh, He was calling me. When I was about four years old, we used to play a game, 20 questions, you know, and my question was always, who were the first people on earth, and who made the earth? And I figured nobody could answer that. But then I learned. And uh, I learned a little here and a little there. I remember I went to one Sunday school that was in my, my public school. And I learned the Lord's Prayer there. And then I think that church moved and I didn't go there anymore, and I ended up going to the Catholic Church, and I knew when to knock on my heart, and when to cross, and when to kneel, but I didn't know what any of it meant. And then I started going with my sister, who was going to the Lutheran Church. And there, I, was, uh, I wouldn't go in my own Sunday school class, I had to go in hers, and she was about six years older than me. So the other kids earned a Bible, and I earned a New Testament. And then I was in the um, youth choir at that church. And I remember singing, he lives, he lives, you asked me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And I sang that and I knew he lived within my heart even though I hadn't asked him in, I felt like he lived in my heart. Then we moved from Montana to Las Vegas. And I went to church with a friend from school and we went to the Lutheran Church and then they switched to the Mormon church. And so I, I didn't go there with her. I could have if I wanted to. My parents would have allowed me to, but I didn't, somehow didn't feel to go there. So I started going with my next door neighbor to the Baptist church. And then one Easter Sunday, the choir marched down the aisle. And I don't know what they were singing, but I just knew I was home. And I went to that church until Leonard and I moved up here, and all through high school, my um, youth group was my, my tight group of friends, and I feel very blessed to have had them, and we still have friends from that youth group to this day.
0: That's cool.
2: And um, fortunately, I married into a godly family and Leonard's folks were very strong Christians, his aunts were Christians, and I feel very blessed to have had them in my life. And now we're just old folks, we're grandparents and great-grandparents. We have 11 grandchildren, four children, and five great-grandchildren so far. That's still a work in progress. but. And I have to say, I was looking through some of my papers last week, and one of the happiest times of my life was during the time that our kids were teenagers. They had their friends over. We had uh, three different friends of Bob's that lived with us for a school year each, and I felt very blessed to have them in our home. And... I had enough energy back then to cook dinner for them all and (laughs) enjoy it. And then we had another young lady stay with us while she was engaged until she was married. We had an unwed mother that asked if she could move in with us. And my first thought was, I have to get the entrance, the entryway uh, wallpapered before Bob and Christy's wedding. And then the Lord just said to me, what's more important when you stand in front of me? whether your entryway was wallpapered or you gave Sherry a home. Hmm. So the wallpaper got up before Easter, (laughs) but Sherry had a place to live (laughs) while she was pregnant and for the first six months of her child's life. That's awesome. And the Lord has blessed us, and we feel very blessed with the family we have.
0: Amen. That's so cool. So we definitely heard a lot of... um, moments in each of your story where faith and family intersected. But I wonder if you could share um, at least a couple of you on some things that have happened um, more recently um, in in the life of your families um, that have been faith building moments or or seasons kind of what what's some of the some of the more current things going on For me, um, I feel like
3: it's been hard because I feel like my family has dealt with just a lot of suffering over the years. So 2013, uh, my dad was um, was murdered in um, just a domestic violence uh, situation, and that was one thing that really bound our family together, to face it together and to have faith through it and to learn how to struggle with those questions mm-hmm. of um, how am I going to practically live out my faith. And even though you go through doubts, even though you go through things like that. Um, and then the other situation is just since 2011, my brother has just constantly um, dealt with uh, cancer, started his bone cancer. And now um, he is has, it's kind of metastasized in his lungs. Um, so those are two things that I think have really focused us as a family on eternal things, because we've just seen how short, how precious life is, and mm-hmm. how wasting uh, time on things that aren't important is just not worth it, but also it's de- it's made us deal with our sins of the past as well, and just um, areas that we wounded each other, areas that... We had just never worked out. We're kind of forced to the surface to work out, and I think our family has become a lot stronger in our faith together
0: um, okay. through all that. And God, God, particularly used your dad's death to get a hold of David, right? Even yeah. even after some of his cancer battles, in the well, in the midst of that, that was that was really the the moment that he, um, you know, grasps that genuine faith, right?
3: yeah it's it's pretty amazing because it's it's such an awful thing, but then you see God work through it because um, my, my brother was one of those guys that just went through so many different things where God was just beckoning him and calling him, and he um just you know just had that that heart that was still just going against but there there's something about my dad uh losing his life that he just kind of uh I think, finally came to the end of his self, kind of broke down, and my dad always was like, you're gonna, be, uh, a, you know, you're gonna be a Bible teacher one day, and you're gonna be teaching these things, and you're gonna be leading a family uh, for Christ, and it's just awesome now, because that's exactly what's happened. Um, unfortunately, my dad's not around to see it, but it's amazing that's to see that happen.
0: It's cool. Yeah. Cool. Are there other moments or seasons of faith-building
1: so um, back in, so my husband and I were not Christians when we met. We weren't walking with the Lord, and um, we had a really, really awful marriage. It was just terrible for the first seven years. And so um, through, through us completely ripping our marriage apart and breaking it down to the worst that you could break it down to, we found Christ through that. And it's like God uses those times where you're broken and totally at your lowest, no matter what it is, to To reach you, and some of us need to uh, learn the hard way. I say they have to like go through it to understand. And I remember uh, both of us just at different, you know, two particular stages within our marriage, and um, we, you know, had divorce papers and we were ready to divorce. And and both of us just every single time coming back to, we cannot sit our kids down and tell them that this is going to happen. There's no way. So. God totally worked through something tragic and terrible, and, and in spite of ourselves and our sinful ways, he worked because we were willing, we were willing to put the work in, but we were willing to allow him to work through our marriage, and so we just did not want that same legacy for our kids that were both from divorced families and broken families, and so God still used that in spite of ourselves. It was our kids, really, um, mm-hmm. that he used to bring a different legacy, a different lifestyle and family to our family through that. That's great.
4: Thanks, God. That's awesome. Um, I think for us, I, I think a common theme, even you'll, you'll probably say it too, is that adversity, when you stay close to Jesus, makes you a lot stronger uh, you know, counted all joy when you fall into various trials. I mean, that's kind of, you know, our, our story, too, a little bit. We were um, church planters in, in Alaska for 12 years. And, you know, if we'd have known all the things that we had to go through, uh, we it would have been hard to go, I mean, to be honest with you. But we went as a family, and that's kind of how we have always seen ministry or, you know, anything. It's like, if you go, we go. You know, like we're all in together. This is our thing. No matter what it's been, it's it's. I'm thankful. It's always kind of been like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but those difficult times, those um, you know, no money times, the empty cupboard times, the stalker, you know, <laughs> down the street times. Those types of things uh, really strengthened us uh, as a family. Um, I find the harder part is, you know, the more difficult. Time as a family is when things seem to be easier and a little bit without those external troubles. Hmm. Uh, that's where I get a little nervous. <laughs> hmm. So I think it's always safer to be in that, obviously in the will of God, um, but have that, that God-ordained adversity. And as you're sticking close to Jesus, that's where we've definitely found our, our strength as a family.
2: That's Amen. Good. Yeah. Uh, For me, again, drawing from the old people's side, uh, a few years ago, most of you know, I had a stroke, and I also at the same time had an autoimmune disease that made my muscles weak. And I have to say it was a very hard time for us, but I wouldn't trade that for anything because the Lord was so near and so dear and showed himself so purposefully and strongly in our lives. And he was always there, I swear. We went on vacation, and there were angels all the way along to help me. Hmm. I just, they looked human, but I think the Lord ordained it. And I wouldn't trade that for anything because of the experience I had with the Lord through that. And he's been faithful every day of our lives. Amen. And continues to be.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, now that we all know each other a little bit better, um, let's, let's kind of turn the corner and define some terms here. So um, what is, and you all don't have to answer every question, so we'll, we'll start to move a little quicker here. What, is a gosp- what does it mean to be gospel-centered? Is that just christian ease or, or does that actually mean something?
4: I think for me, uh, I think of John 15. That's where my mind always runs, is abide in me and I'll abide in you, and the idea of fruitfulness and all of that, I think I think honestly, we can do a little bit of the religious stuff, but where the rubber meets the road is each person's individual relationship with Christ. That's what I would see as gospel-centered. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's like what was missing when I was young is that I didn't have that relationship, so there was no reason to not do those things there was that conviction wasn't there and so always bringing everything back to well what does the bible say about it what does god's word tell us about this and and why why does he tell us not to do this or why is he warning us against this and so really making it their faith understanding that you know you have choices and it's up to you and god this is your relationship with him and you're going to have choices that you have to make I'm here to guide you and help you and teach you, but ultimately it's up to you, and you're the one that's gonna have to answer for them someday. That sounds kind of harsh. There's like love in there and grace too, but ultimately it is up to them. So bringing everything back to Christ, everything always circles back to Christ and why.
0: Yeah, that's for for me, that's what I think of too as a filter um, that our focus, our purpose, everything, all the decisions we make um, as a family. Um, to be gospel-centered means to to bring the gospel to the forefront, the good news. To be to to think of uh, who God is and what He's done for us, and in light of that, who am I, and how am I supposed to respond to that in my marriage, and in my parenting, and in my financial decisions, and um, every step along the way. And then, as a gospel-centered family, there's just a, a togetherness um, element of that that. It's not, what am I, you know, how am I, Garrett, responding to the gospel? It's, how are we responding to that? How does that affect the whole family?
3: Yeah, just to add to that, I thought of the verse in Galatians 2 where it says, I'm crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live by now, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Yeah. so that's what I think of. It's like this thing that we are accountable to and is Christ living through you day by day in the gospel. So it's like every area of my life, when, when I look at it, is Christ living in it? Am I like surrendering? Am I accountable to the gospel in that? Um, yeah. That's kind of what I thought.
0: It's awesome.
1: We just did that verse in Sunday school. Nice.
0: <laughs> okay, so. Give him a star. <laughs> Sorry, I butchered it. <laughs> So this might be a a different version of the same question then, but um, how would you respond if somebody kind of on the street just asked you, what is God's intent for family? What did God intend when he designed family?
2: I think God intends for us to show his love through our family to others Mm -hmm. in practical ways, in everyday ways.
0: Yeah. That's good.
4: Yeah, we're to glorify him. Yeah. Exactly. We're, we're to be examples in what it looks like to seek first his kingdom. Otherworldly, you know, otherworldly existence.
0: Yeah. Um, I was talking to my dad about this, and he brought up a couple verses for me. Um, Malachi 2.15 talks about how the Lord's intent for family is godly offspring. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Ephesians six four fathers never provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So there's a strong biblical case that um, one of the primary purposes of family is the passing on of faith, and um, I mean that's that's pretty pretty clearly what as Christian parents that's sort of the primary desire of our hearts. But um, so sorry. I wanted to um, challenge our idea and talk about sort of the way our culture influences our view of family, sometimes in um, negative ways. And so I came across um, this ministry, I've been following this ministry for a while, it's called Family Teams. And one of the guys, um, his name is Jeremy Pryor. And they put out a lot of um, just practical content to help um, Christian parents And um, I I ran across one of his messages, and he, the whole thing is him just comparing and contrasting uh, a biblical, or he calls it a classical model for family, uh, and a Western idea of family. So I took his whole message, and I um, took what I thought were the the best little clips out of that, and I thought we could play those, and then I have a couple questions after each one that we can just respond to them. So... um, I think it'll be really thought-provoking, and, uh, and we'll have some good discussion. So I apologize the video quality is a little low, but the, the content is good, I promise. So the first one is just less than two minutes, and it's kind of funny because he's, he's speaking, actually, at a church in Cincinnati, but he's uh, talking about kind of making fun of uh, Seattle. So let's check that out.
5: Ladies and I want to describe to you guys uh, that I had was around the value of family, and this happened to me when I was single. And, uh, and I wrestled through that. And, and to understand the context of that collision for me, you have to know that I, I didn't grow up in Cincinnati. Uh, I grew up in a faraway land called Seattle where families go to die. Um, Seattle is not a place that loves family. They're on the cutting edge of all kinds of awesome things like technology and coffee and music and the cutting edge of the latest trend to totally devalue the family. Um, and so I, I got caught up in that and I, I saw that a lot. And in fact, uh, I was taking my family back to Seattle. We go back every year, Uh, just a couple of months ago, and we were looking around for a campsite for our family. And we found a website that said family-friendly right there on the homepage. And we're like, yes, a family-friendly campground. That's cool, because last year we almost got kicked out of a campground for violating their two-child-only policy. Um, So we got to this, we, we saw this campsite, and my wife picked up the phone and calls them up and says, you know, so I see on your website you say family-friendly. Can you just describe that a little bit, tell me about that? And she said, oh, yeah, we're really family-friendly. We have uh, designated dog areas, we have a dog walk, and we even have a special dog bed laundry machine. And my wife was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, what about children, you know? Uh, Do you have anything for them? Oh, yeah, yeah, we allow children as long as they, you know, stay quiet after 10 p.m. We're like, man, so if my kids don't, you know. So I was, we were t- trying to figure out, like, how do, we, how do we do this family thing in, in this place? So Seattle is this, you know, one of the things they're also on the cutting edge for is they're actually the first city in the country where pet dogs outnumber children. Why, why is this happening? And, you know, we can look at that and go, oh, look at those crazy people on the West Coast, you know. I knew we need to stay away from those people.
0: <laughs> so my question Lindsay watched that video, and she does a lot of camping, so she's like, where was he trying to camp? Because you bring your kids camping (laughs) all the (laughs) time. Seattle's not that bad. Uh, But I think he goes on in the video after that to say, um, you know, it's not just Seattle, it's Cincinnati, it's, you know, it's our American culture. So, um, I mean, do you guys believe that, that family is being devalued, and if so, why?
4: If Satan destroys the family, he destroys the community, destroys country, the nation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's his goal.
1: I think with a focus also on, uh, selfishness because Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't want to have children because they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it without having to take care of kids. So one of his ways that he breaks down the family unit is through selfishness. I mean, like I'm, for example, Jay Z. You know who Jay Z is. He's a secular rap artist, but he has a clothing line that um, it's "Do What Thou Willest." That's like the the logo, mm. and it's "Do What You Want," and that is the example that our kids now and teenagers and and young adults have. It's "Do What You Want." It doesn't matter when anybody else wants it to do what you want. So that just carries over into the family because you can't really do what you want to do when you have kids. Most of the time you gotta <laughs> plan and all that stuff. So yeah, right. definitely the breakdown of the family union.
0: Yeah. So the one of the opposites of gospel centered would be self centered, right? And so that I think that's exactly right. That American culture put places self as as the top thing that we value and so it's what's best for me, what's best for my career, what's best for my comfort and family doesn't always make the cut so I know that that's not true of anybody up here, I know that you all believe that families are a blessing from God so let me just simply ask why do you believe that because it's kind of a radical thing in our culture to believe that, why do you believe that
2: Well, that's what God started with was a family so it was important to him and I think it's important just because of the blessing that family's been to me Mm -hmm. and continues to be so that's a personal selfish thought but it's a blessing to have family
4: I think of uh, in Thessalonians he he says um, I don't need to teach you how to love if you're born of God you already you're taught by him to love So I think there's something about, obviously, God the Father, when you are adopted into the family, that that becomes, you begin to take on the characteristics and and have the desires that God himself desires. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the counterculture kills children indiscriminately. Mm -hmm. You know, in Christ, we value life. We value husbands and wives. Isn't it interesting that, you know, Vice President Pence is is berated for, you know, not having isolated dinners with women? I mean, that's what the culture says. Mm -hmm. But uh, Christ values the husband and the wife, children, life, so his church should too. Yeah. By nature. Right. New nature.
0: One of the passages he brings up in the video, um, you're probably, a lot of you are probably familiar with it, Psalms 127, three through five says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. So I mean, there's always the classic Sunday school answer because the Bible says so, which is a totally valid answer and it's right there. <laughs> children and families are a blessing. I love the idea of quiver being full. It's kind of uncomfortable, though. I feel like you can't walk around and ask guys about their quiver. That would just be weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so basically, the family is a ble- blessing and a gift from God, and and that is sometimes in conflict with the culture around us. Um, especially so as the culture goes in opposite direction. You know, we're exiles in Babylon, right? So we're living in this culture, and pursuing gospel-centered families can sometimes maybe feel like you're swimming upstream and definitely be a challenge and then there's that more subtle thing going on where it's maybe not um, overtly anti-family but that whole individualistic self-centered western culture um, can sort of influence and rub off on the way we even as christians uh, think and view family so the next clip here is uh, jeremy contrasting these two different ideas and views of family let's go ahead and watch that
5: I realized, you know, my my perspective on Abraham's idea of family was just, it's just plain primitive, right? It's from the past. It's archaic. It's ancient. And it doesn't really have any relevance to my life. And so, but I had to take a second look at that because all of a sudden I collided with a culture that actually viewed Abraham's idea of family as being relevant for today and this modern world. And so I began to try to figure out, well, what's the difference between the way Abraham thought about family and the way that You know, I thought about it, or the way that pretty much every Western family I'd ever met had thought about it. So I drew a couple pictures because um, this could be a little bit, you know, complex to figure out the contrast. So in the Western world, the Western family really starts when a mom and a dad get together and they form a brand new family. And the way that we think about family in the West, is every time mom and dad get together, a brand-new family, we hit the reset button, every single generation, new family. And then they have some kids, and those kids, you know, the way the family is structured is, in a good Western family, is you want to create a really loving environment for the individual success of every single individual member of the family. So that, that we, what we want to create in the West is a great springboard for the success of our children, who then, poof, leave the nest, go off and start their own family, and bink, hit the reset button again, next generation. Now, this kind of family has about an 80-year memory, which means that, you know, you, you, usually if you ask a typical Western person, you know, tell me about your great-grandparents, they, they can't give you a lot of stories. Or if you say, hey, name a few of your great-great-grandparents, that's going to be tough for a lot of us uh, in the West. And that's just because we have this sort of reset button every generation. Now, the other way of viewing family, um, oh, yeah, the last, the other thing that's weird about the, the Western family, there went the dad. Where did he go? Um, he disappears. <laughs> and that's a problem. This is, a, this is an epidemic in, in our culture because dads, the thing is, you guys, dads just don't connect really well with Western families. It's sort of a, like a, this nurturing nest, you know, idea of family. And so sometimes they're like, you know, nurturing dads are like, they're like, yeah, I really want to do that. I want to nurture some of the kids. But a lot of dads are like, hey, I want to build something. So there, there can be a lot of consternation where dads just don't ever really bond or identify with their family. And th- the statistics on this are, are staggering. I mean, they're getting as high as 70% of children live some or all of their childhood in a home separated from their biological father. That, that's a big, so that's a problem. And, and I, and I, and I look, was looking at these dads and kids and their view of family, and, and I had to ask, I had to stand back and ask the question, who's being primitive, right, right? Have we really figured out a better way of doing family? Maybe not. So I'm taking a second look at this. So the, the other way of doing family, the way Abraham would have thought of it, is the classical family. We're calling it classical and not you know, just biblical because the Bible describes families this way, both in the Old and New Testament. But this is just the way that basically every major culture in the world thought about family until about 50 or 100 years ago when we got so much prosperity in the West. Um, and so the way that they would think is, hey, f- the world is a dangerous place. So the way that you start a family is it begins with a patriarch who casts a vision who says, okay, this is what we're going to do to protect, provide for this family in this crazy, chaotic world. We're going to, like, buy this field. We're going to start this farm. We're going to pay off this house. We're going to start this business. So a patriarch steps up and says, this is what we're going to do. And they, they sort of get, get the, uh, the family past the starting line and a little bit farther and then pass the baton to the next generation. And so that keeps going generation to generation, and each generation just builds a little bit onto that. Now, I know sometimes when you hear the word patriarch, you might be saying, ooh, I mean, that word has been taking a beating in the last few decades. And the reason is, if you take the word patriarch and move it over to the Western idea of a family, what does that really mean? In a Western family, a patriarch can only mean that it's a a family where we just do whatever dad, whatever really fits the selfish self-interest of dad, because it's just a one-generational family, and if he's being a patriarch, right, he's being patriarchal, that means he's just, I'm going to get everybody to sort of meet my needs. But in the classical family, the definition of patriarch is almost the opposite. The way Abraham would have thought of a patriarch would have been a guy who spends his entire life serving his family so that they can get to this point of multi-generational success. And so if you do this, you, you have a patriarch who casts a vision, passes on to the next generation, it keeps growing, keeps growing. Eventually, what you have is a family legacy.
0: Okay, so there's a lot there. Um, but basically, what I, what I hear him saying is that we in the West can sometimes have a short-sighted, limited view of family that has uh, short memory, 80-year memory, and, um, and, and a lack of vision, and, and therefore lack of legacy versus a classical uh, or biblical idea of family that is multi-generational, is vision-oriented, and, re- and results in legacy. So I'm curious, what view of family have you guys had or how, is it, how has your view of family changed over the years?
3: I've been very guilty of the short-term family memory. I mean, the only thing I know about my great-grandfather is he had a sweet mustache, <laughs> because there's an old picture of him. Um, it's important. Yeah, but this, this actually has, over the last few months, I think, changed a lot for me to be like, okay, there's a reason why I'm here and there's like a story behind that. So I, I've been more interested in um, kind of uncovering some of that story. And, and I think it all started when I went up to a family reunion in Canada because a lot of my Canadian relatives are, are very good at that. They're like, oh yeah, we're Scottish, and we came from this family, and here's some stories. Um, so I think God's like shifting my mentality to, to from that isolationist kind of mentality to being like, there's a big story that God's weaved through time to make me who I am. So it's yeah. kind of cool and kind of
0: important. So what do you think then is, like, what do, you, what do we lose out on? Or um, if, if we have that short-sighted or that reset mentality, what do you guys think we, we lose out on in terms of pursuing a gospel-centered family? Or how does that hurt us pursuing a gospel-centered family?
3: I, mean, I think one thing I just thought of was that there's there's probably amazing stories of faith, of overcoming things that come from our past that I probably just don't know, but they would be greatly encouraging in my walk hmm. um, of what some of my family has gone through and some of their again, like we had talked about struggles and things like that and just hearing what part of my family had gone through before would just encourage me to to trust God more in what I'm going through now kind of thing.
4: I think for me, I think in Proverbs it says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children. And I don't, I mean some argue that could be financially. I think uh, legacy when he's talking about that, I think about, um, I know all of our kids they have to make their own decisions like you were saying, you know, they, they each have to decide. But I would, I want to I want my kids, you know, if if nothing else, know that dad walked with the Lord and was always pointing them to Jesus, you know, and it says train up a child in the way he should go when he's older, he he shouldn't depart. It's, It's a principle, but when I think of legacy, that's kind of the legacy that I desire is like a legacy of, you know, faith. Like, they look back and they see how the Lord was working in their life, then they can share stories about how God was faithful in their life. That's what I think of.
0: Yeah, that's good. So let's then talk about, um, actually I'll play another short clip. This one's only a minute and a half, but um, if we want to do this thing, if we want to see that happen, um, a legacy of faith, multiple generations, um, then obviously we need to be concerned with, especially if you're head of the household, how how to lead your family. So um, let's watch this clip and we'll talk about that. So the
5: second collision was when I learned how to lead my family. And so I was looking for these tools. How do I do this? How do I become a leader of my family? Where are these tools at? And I didn't have to look far. And uh, actually, um, a lot of you have probably had really good training when it comes to how to lead a family. Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have ever like been a part of a team sport where you felt like you had a really good coach? Has anybody been well coached? That's just an, that's a, so a lot of you guys have had that experience. That's an experience a lot of people here have had, um, and the same tools that a great coach uses to bring the team together are exactly the same tools that a head of household needs to really turn their family into a team. So this is this is, and I started looking at some tools like strategy. You know, great coaches take time to plan a strategy. Practice time. You know, great coaches run great drills and know how to run practices, game time, great coaches know how to coach during the game and after the game, and in celebrations, great coaches know how to bring the team together and celebrate victory and really work through that. So that's, those are just some tools. And, and so, you know, we don't really think about family that way, but just imagine if every father, you know, in America suddenly woke up tomorrow morning, and when they saw their wife and their kids, they thought, oh, this is my team, and we got three practices in a game this weekend, right? What would they do differently? I mean, they, they, imagine the amount of involvement.
0: So have you guys thought about family as a team before, um, currently or in the past? And if so, what are some of the strategies maybe that you've used?
1: I always say, we're a team when we're cleaning the house. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and we all got to work together more recently.
0: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I guess, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. The well, With what my brother's going through right now with cancer and just the needs that they have practically, I feel like when that idea was popped up, I was like, oh, we kind of, I have not thought of it as being a team, but I was like, we are kind of operating like a team because, I mean, the other day, my mom was able to to watch Daniel, my nephew, and then I cooked dinner, just a big vat of spaghetti that I was just like, well, stirring turn that? up. And, <laughs> and I was like, it, it's cool, like it like it is like a team, like we uh, what's your role today what's your, you you know yeah. and you're attacking it? so I thought that was a cool picture.
0: nice
2: and i I like to think uh when we used to have company, the kids would help straighten up the house before the company came, and then I had to teach them that straightening up the house after was just as big a part of it, you know <laughs> and I remember David emptying the garbage without being told one time. And Tisha said, that's when she knew he was the man for her. (laughs) So, and when he was little, and I'd ask him to empty the silverware out of the dishwasher, he says, me, me, why always me? I did this yesterday. And I said, yes, but you ate yesterday too. (laughs) So we just need to be faithful with little things and that grows into bigger things.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good.
4: I was thinking when... um, you know, he's talking about a coach, and I. One thing that I've always prayed or sought to do is, like, bring the Lord in. Into just very practical things, like, Lord, how do I. You know, share some truth as we're just doing what we're doing. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's something that that is really on my heart to do. It's like try to find those little opportunities, because there's those times of. Teaching and Sunday school, obviously taking the kids, you know, making sure that we're in fellowship and all that kind of stuff. But just like on the way, on the practical, I think of Deuteronomy 6 where he says "We're," you know, that word should be on the doorpost of your house. It should be, you know, as you're going on the way, as you're home and just kind of that idea of like, how do I implant something, you know, on the way, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's right. what I think of.
0: And I know um, the dinner table is... Super important coaching and training ground for for families. Um, I'm really excited to get intentional and develop that time as my boys get a little older. At this point, Ashton will be two at the end of September. So, I mean, he's barely talking. He says some words. So, um, I've gotten, at this point, this is as far as we've gotten. He uh, helps me pray. So, I say, thank you, God, for, and he goes, mommy, thank you, God, for. <laughs> Uh, call or baby. He said, baby, Th- and thank you, God. And I keep saying it until he finally says, daddy. <laughs> and then they'll say food, and they'll say Jesus. So it's pretty sweet. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm just gleaning a lot from, like, obviously the example that's been set for me, but also, um, like, this family team's ministry and um, and tools to find opportunities. They mentioned holidays being a big um, opportunity to... Um, to share the obviously the true meaning and kind of these rich Christian traditions that started um, in, you know, forever ago. And, um, and then Johnny, you were talking about another sort of practice opportunity earlier for families that was really impactful for you. Yeah. Cause he, he
3: kind of mentioned a little bit that, that the idea of kind of getting outside of what's familiar or what's, around you all the time. And and what he he does is like mission trips, whether that's somewhere outside of the U.S. or even doing something together in a city, uh, serving people. But I think of my life in my teenage years and doing something like that or getting out into a third world country or just seeing how like so much of the world lives their life and how it's it's not the, the, the privilege that we have here, I think is a great way to practice. And if, if a family can do something like that, or even just watching, like I don't know, a good documentary about a, a cultural issue that's going on together, and just getting outside of their box, I think that's great practice together. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So the final clip, but I think what I'll do is, I'll post I'll post the whole message if anybody's interested in watching it. Um, I'll post it to our Facebook group, um, Calvary Chapel South Facebook group. Um, you can watch the whole message, but, um, for the sake of time, I think we'll skip the clip and just talk about it instead. Basically, he, he talks about um, how to serve through the household and how when you look at the New Testament, you see um, this recurring theme of of they were meeting in house to house and, and how um, sort of the primary unit of the church, the family of God, were these households. And um, even as the gospel uh, Where it was to spread and you're sending people out in twos they would go and they'd find a, a man of peace and that would be this household that would partner with the singles and then these households would would um, adopt spiritual orphans and they would adopt physical orphans because um, they just so resonate that 's what Jesus did for me he brought me in and made me a part of the family and then um, and then they would eventually adopt whole cities and um, you know as, as they would have spiritual children spiritual grandchildren, um, that would be in this local city, that, and that's where we get get elders from. So um, for us, not really living in that culture, we live in this individualistic culture, um, I think there's a tendency for us to think about church um, wrongly as a building or a collection of programs, and um, what happens for some families is, you know, our spiritual lives is Played out mostly within those confines. Like this is the place we go to pray, or the place we go to worship, or meditate on the Word. And um, I guess my question is, how do we fight against that, or or should we? Is that okay, or should we be thinking about our households, our homes, as places of discipleship and and places of worship?
4: Homes got to be priority because mm-hmm. the church should simply be, you know, the gathering of people should be a place where those things are, they're encouraged in what they're already learning. And I think the example that's set in the home is the primary, you know, for for the parents. Like, it's easy to say, hey, read your Bible, <laughs> you know. But if your kids wake up in the morning and see you there, mm-hmm. you know, see you praying together, not for a demonstration or a show, mm-hmm. but like the real deal, it makes an impact. I think that's, um, yeah.
0: yeah. Why, why do you think we have that tendency to compartmentalize church and home? Why is that such an easy trap to slip into and, and how can, how can, what are some practical ways to fight against it?
4: Because you compartmentalize Jesus. And that shouldn't be. Yeah. He should be all in all, everything that we do. In him we have our breath, our living. When Christ, our life appears, you know, I think it just boils down to that personal, individual love of
5: Christ. Yeah.
0: So what are some ways that... Um guys have seen that, that we can, in, in, our, in our culture, serve through our households, with our families, whatever stage we might be in. Um, Pat, you mentioned um, some in your story already with bringing, bringing in um, Pop's friends and, and the single mother. And, uh, what are some other things that you've seen families do or maybe your family has done in the past?
1: We do that a lot, too. I would say that um, we love to have people over over and welcome them into our home. And our kids are a big part of that also because they're also an example uh, um, of Christ in their life. And so when we have people over and they're being obedient or disobedient, because that happens too, because, you know, nobody's perfect. But, <laughs> you know, they letting them know, like, you're an example in how you conduct yourself with your speech, with your actions. And so... When we're having people over, you're shining the light for Jesus by just loving them and being kind and serving them. Go get them coffee. There's very simple ways when you have kids. You give them simple opportunities to serve, Um, but within the home, I'd say that's the easiest way to serve others because you're inviting people into your home and you're loving on them, and your kids are a big part of that, and they're also seeing you demonstrate that, so they hopefully pick that up as well and take that, so it's kind of the same for us home.
2: And as you do that, when your kids are small, you'll see as they grow up, they're doing it in their homes.
0: Yeah. I think um, you see, like in Titus, one of the qualifications for a leader, for an elder, is hospitality and opening up your home. And that's such a powerful picture of the gospel and such an opportunity. for for, They'll know we're his disciples by by our love for one another. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I know maybe on a lot of days, if you think about the way your family interacts, and it's kind of like they, they will not know that. By the way, my family—we've <laughs> got some ways to go. But I think um, one of one of the things that is is in this video that's encouraging is like you—you've got to start somewhere, right? Like it it always starts somewhere. So like I feel really uh, blessed and and privileged I'm kind of a, a Timothy in a sense that um, my my parents are strong Christians and my my dad's parents are strong Christians and I have that that heritage of, of genuine faith um, but Abraham as an example of you know a father of faith and um, his his dad crafted idols right he was an idol worshiper and an idol maker so um, So like this whole thing I think can sound overwhelming and having the heritage and and the examples I have, it's still overwhelming. So how much more when you don't have those examples? But um, that's where where walking with God, he gives you what you need, right? Mm -hmm. So when you guys pray for families, for your own family, when you pray for family, what kinds of things do you pray?
3: I think for me it really goes along with just that the gospel center idea um just that every area of my family's life are is being conformed into what Christ wants it to look like uh and just that they would have faith in that process in that struggle where God stretches us and um that's really been my prayer lately and it's it can be disheartening because I see a lot of my extended family that is just not going that direction. Mm-hmm. and um, But yeah, that's, that's something I really pray for is just that, um, that faith and that being conformed day by day. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I always
1: pray that we would just love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and then walk obedient with him until the end of days. <laughs> yeah.
4: Sometimes I find myself just groaning, (laughs) letting the Spirit, (laughs) it's like, Lord, you know, you know, you know.
2: (laughs) And I pray for our grandchildren, you know, that the Lord will protect them and guide them all the days of their life. And then for our own children, I just pray his guidance. And two of our children are not walking with the Lord right now, and so then I pray that the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten.
0: Yeah. Amen. So I think uh, by way of wrapping up our time tonight, the best thing we could do is pray for our families. So I was wondering if maybe each one of you would say a prayer over our our families that are represented here in this room and and in our church. Um, Maybe, Pat, you could start, and then Johnny, if you want to, you'll close us in a song afterwards. And then, uh, and then we'll worship one last song together and I'll close us out.
2: Lord, we thank you that families are near and dear to your heart. And we pray that they'll always be near and dear to our hearts as well. Lord, we pray your covering over our families, over our kids and our grandkids, our spouses. Lord, those that aren't walking with you, we pray that as the hound of heaven, you will not leave them but you will pursue them, Lord, with your loving arm. And we know that you can reach them, and we thank you, Lord. Help us to be the parents that you want us to be. Mm -hmm. Help us to speak the truth in love and to guide our children and to be the example that you would have us be. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Lord, I thank you and praise you for um, these families that are represented here. There are a lot of difficulties and challenges, mm-hmm. um, but you know that. You, you know every hair on every head of every struggle, every trial, mm-hmm. um, every tear. Lord, you know every everything, and we take great comfort in that. We know that you are the perfect father, and we want our kids to... See you mm-hmm. as the perfect one, Lord. We are um, broken and fallen, but we want to walk with you. We want to honor you. We want to please you. We want a legacy, mm-hmm. Lord. All of us in this room, we want a legacy of faith. We want our kids to walk with you, Jesus, and their and their kids mm-hmm. to walk. And so we are desperate for you. We ask for your Holy Spirit just to pour just fresh and new Mm -hmm. strength, courage, boldness, desire for you and do a work like you have never done, Lord, and begin now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Father, we're just so thankful again for who you are and how you love us so perfectly, Lord, and we just pray for any of the broken families, people from broken families, people in broken families right now and the children involved, Lord. We know that you are our great and mighty healer and comforter, Lord, and we ask that you'd bring comfort and healing to those families, to those hearts of the children and the parents, Lord. We thank you that you never leave us, Lord. We thank you that you are a God who keeps your promises, Lord. We pray that we can pass these things down um, to generations from now, Lord, of loving you, of living our lives for you, Father, and serving you faithfully, Lord, We ask that you'd watch over our children, that you'd guard their hearts and their minds, Father, as we are in desperate, desperate trying times, Father. We ask for your protection over them. We ask that they would be able to decipher truth, Father, Father, your truth, and that they would love your word and learn it and memorize it, store it in their heart, Father. We pray for kids that would know you and have personal relationships with you, Father, that they would grow in the knowledge of who you are, Lord, and that they would go and share that with other people around them, Lord. We thank you, Jesus.
3: pray that, God, you make us more like you each day. Lord, you place us in families, and Lord, whether they are dysfunctional, will they all in some ways are dysfunctional, Lord, but, um, Lord, you are, your kingdom is growing, and you are working through our families, through our brokenness, Lord, and you want to change us and inform us, and uh, we just want to thank you for that, God. I just pray over everyone in this room and what you've called them to in the ministries at home as they are the church, Lord. Um, Bless them, pour your spirit out into them, Lord, equip them to do this work that you have called us to. I do, I pray for um, just people, single people as well, Lord, that they um, commit themselves to binding themselves to the church and just viewing that as their spiritual family, Lord, that they get to be um, spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters, spiritual mentors to people, Lord, and have such a powerful ministry that they can work as well, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name.